Uh, one, next week we start our new uh, Sunday school classes, and we are, y'all can all help us with this. Uh, the deaf will be meeting in here in this section. Uh, that'll happen at 10, and by 11 o'clock, somehow we have to, or from 9.30 to 11, we have to have everything put back together. There's some dividers in the back back there that will be dividing off the section back in the back right, or your over here on this side, uh, there's a hermeneutics class, that is how to study the Bible, that will start at 10 o'clock in that section, and then in the deaf room, or in the room that where the deaf are meeting presently, there's an evangelism and apologetics class that will meet in there. So if you're interested in either one of those classes, you're welcome to come and join us as we start the new Sunday school classes. What will happen is, is those will meet for roughly 16 weeks, and then they'll switch, so you're going to get either one, uh, but you, you can pick which one you want to start with. Second, the Honduras trip. We are looking for more people. We'd love for more people to go on this trip. Uh, if you're interested, uh, it's, uh, the price has dropped to $1,100. They found some cheaper plane tickets. So if you're interested, we'd love for you to come. Or if you say, well, I can't go, I can't go to Honduras from June 1st to June 8th, but I'd like to help somebody, uh, you could always sponsor somebody or help them out uh, because we'd love to take some people maybe that are uh, a little bit more gifted in doing construction projects and stuff like that, but they couldn't take off the time from work because they're a little bit tighter. So maybe you could help out that way so that we could get some people there that could help. Somebody asked me this week, should... Uh, we do short-term mission trips. Is it uh, not the best thing to do? Shouldn't we just send the money to missionaries? Well, MADE is a little bit different in that uh, we want the professors to keep teaching their students, not go paint buildings. We need the people to help put this together and help keep the facilities nights so the students can come. So this is a great opportunity for us to come alongside them and help them in their their mission endeavors of making pastors and teaching and, and producing national pastors in Honduras. So please consider helping out in this way. Okay? All right. Take your Bibles. Look over at Matthew chapter 10. We all need continuous instruction from the Lord, don't we? Why do we need it? Why do we need to hear the Word taught over and over again? Why do we need to come every Sunday? Why do we need to come to our Bible studies? Why do we need to hear the Word? Well, I'd argue a couple of reasons. First, our, our remaining sin nature. Nobody in here is perfect, right? All of you are still battling. We're all battling and we need to be continually reminded how to have victory in these sinful bodies that we carry around. Second, our normal human vulnerabilities. And you might not think you're vulnerable, but guess what? You are. The apostles were called sheep among wolves by the Lord Jesus. Do you think we're any better? No, we're just like them. We're vulnerable. We forget. Anybody in here forget? Anybody in here weak? Anybody in here slow to learn? That's why we need to come. We need to hear the word over and over and over again, don't we? And third, we're in a spiritual battle that is daunting. The enemy is very deceptive and evil. 
How many of you have been blindsided in your life where the enemy slipped in a trap or something and you didn't see it coming and boom, it's there on you and you fall? Well, that's why we come to the Word of God every week. And that's why we come to the instruction of the Lord Jesus so that we can continually be taught how to avoid the enemy's snares and traps and all the deception that's out there. Jesus was instructing His twelve apostles as they went out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We can learn so much from Jesus' instruction of His own apostles. Now, everything isn't perfectly the same. There are some differences. We aren't the apostles. But much of the circumstances are the same, and much of the application is just the same for us. We'll see that especially today. So what Jesus instructs them to do is very applicable to all of us. Again, today today Jesus continues His instructions before the apostles go out. Again, there are some differences, differences like uh, the gifts and, and some of these things, but at the same time, we have the same hearts. So, last week I began to uh, summarize some of Jesus' instructions, and we saw that they were instruct, uh, exhortations for Jesus' disciples to embrace in order to exalt Him in the age before His kingdom comes. We saw last week in verses 16 to 18, you can look in your Bibles, that we must be wise yet innocent. We must be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. Second, we saw that we must not worry. Don't worry because the Spirit will work. In verses 19 to 20, he talks about how the Spirit will help them and empower them and give them understanding and what to say when they face the critical harsh times. And then finally, we began to look at understand the times. Jesus, in verses 21 through 25, begins to explain what the age looks like, what the time that they lived in would be characterized like. He talked in verse 21, notice, about family divisions. This is the times that we live in today, too. In verse 21, it says, brother will betray brother to death. There will be uh, divisions, family divisions. And father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. I looked over at Luke and said, this isn't going to happen, is it? And he, he smiled at me <laughs> in, a, in a kind way. No, 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 no. No, but the characteristic of the time that we live in during the gospel as it goes out, there will be family divisions. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, have family divisions over the gospel? People that you love Jesus, but yet other people don't love Jesus that are in, their, in your family. And there is a division that's happened, right? You say, well, thankfully, they're not trying to kill me. Well, maybe not yet. Hopefully not, right? There will also be widespread hatred. Notice he says widespread hatred. In verse 22, he says, You will be hated by all because of my name's sake. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. I don't know why. There we go. 
So there's widespread hatred. And then third, we saw there will be continuous persecution. Look at verse 23. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And I think his point mainly is that this is going to be the life of the believer. This is going to be the life of the disciple till the return of Jesus. That you'll go from one city to the next, to the next, to the next. You'll always be going and sharing the word, but there will always be what? Persecution. There'll be rejection. And we know this to be true. We don't like it to be true. We sometimes think better of situations. But you have to admit that as a whole, the world that we live in, right? And the co-workers that we have and the families that we have, often many don't want to hear about Jesus, do they? This is the sad truth. We live in a world that is rejecting the Lord. And persecution is reality. You say, well, I haven't had to flee a town yet. Well, that's just grace, beloved. We need to understand that and recognize that. And it isn't a promise that it's going to stay that way, even in our own country. You must understand that we live in a perilous time. This same age is around. I'm praying that God will continue to be merciful to us, right? But we need to be just as bold and just as courageous and just as much in love with Christ so that we'll stand true and proclaim the truth even if that persecution does come. I did read a little article this week that they estimate that so last year 60,000 people that professed to be Christians died martyrs. I'm like, wow, 60,000 people. But again, we don't hear of a lot of those places. We're kind of in our little bubble here, aren't we? It is a reality. People are being persecuted for the name of Christ. Why is this? Well, because the rejection of the Lord has not changed. People as a whole are still rejecting the Lord just like they did during the times of the apostles. Now notice, we'll pick up mainly in verse 24, the rejection like our Lord. Look at the rejection like our Lord. Verse 24, it states, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they've called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Notice Jesus here explains their rejection during this age by comparing them to himself. It's actually an argument from the lesser to the greater. Or by the end, from the greater to the lesser. The disciples here, notice, must not think they are worthy of higher esteem than their teacher and master. That's what he means in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Let's just look at this for a second. A disciple. Who is the disciple? And as Jesus is speaking, he's talking about the apostles. Who is the teacher? Him, right? 
And then, who is the slave? The apostles. And then, who is the master? That would be Jesus. So he's comparing them, and in fact, he states, a disciple must not think that he is above his teacher. You must not think that you're more worthy of honor and esteem than your teacher. You must not think that you are worthy of more honor or esteem by the world or by the people than your master if you're a slave. What's the point? Well, all too often, when persecution comes, what do we think? Why, Lord? Why me? Right? Right? Isn't that what we're thinking? When any any kind of hardship comes into our life, it's naturally the tendency for us to think is, why is this happening to me? But what have we forgotten? We should be asking, when that kind of persecution happens, or any kind of struggle comes, or any kind of mistreatment happens to us, we should be thinking, why, Lord, were you given this kind of persecution? Why were you mistreated? In fact, by asking our question, the other question, we're actually putting ourselves above who? Him. Above Christ. How many of you have ever thought that that's the way we think when we're being mistreated? None of us think that way, do we? But in fact, was it fair for our master and our teacher to be crucified on a cross? No, it wasn't. Was it fair for him to be blasphemed? No. But how can we think that we are worthy of higher esteem than him? Wow, that changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? When persecution and trials come into our lives. He's calling the disciples to realize, if they treat me this way, don't think you're better than me. Don't put yourself above me. He says, in fact, the disciples must be like their teacher and master. If we are followers of Christ, if He is our teacher, if He is our master and we are His slaves, then we must, in fact, think it is enough. It must be for the disciple that He become like His teacher. You see it in your passage here. It says, it is enough. It must be this way for the disciple that he become like his teacher. We must be like Christ. Our slaves, we who are slaves of Christ, we must look like Christ. We must look like our master. So don't be shocked. This is the age we live in. And the age we live in, we must look like our teacher and our master. He then goes on and says the disciples should expect mistreatment. They should expect mistreatment in light of their leader being blasphemed. Notice he states, If they have called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So what's the point? What is Beelzebul? Well, it's a a title that was given. Some say it was the Lord of the Flies at the time. The idea that he they were calling him led by Satan. That Satan was directing Jesus. The God-man, the Son of God, was being blasphemed in a way. Saying that he was being led by Satan. 
You see how backwards this is. Everything is wrong about this. The God who made them, their religion and their religious ways, the Pharisees' religious ways, had twisted it and said that Jesus was actually being led by the one that he opposed. It makes no sense, does it? But this is the world we live in. This is what we live in. They call right wrong and wrong right. And the enemy, they call the enemy the one that is really what? The one who is righteous. Friends, if they did this to Jesus, how much more will they do this to us? So the question is natural for all of us. How can we think that it won't happen to us? We should assume it will happen to us. We should be ready for it. Now, I told you, why should we study the Bible? Why should we be looking at it over and over and over again? Because this isn't our natural bent, is it? It's not to think that the world's out to get us. Again, often we want to think the best. But we must be warned and reminded that even the head of the household, Jesus himself, they called him Beelzebul. How much more will they malign the members of his household? So at this point you might say, well, nobody's opposing me. Nobody's ever confronted me. Nobody's given me a hard time ever. Nobody's ever accused me of being evil when I was really righteous. Maybe some of us in the room are saying, that doesn't happen to me. I wonder why. Is it possible that it's because we're not standing firm for the truth? Is it possible that nobody can really tell us the difference from the world? Ouch, that hurts, right? Get off my toes. But beloved, we must stand for the truth. And standing for the truth in a world that hates Jesus, guess what? Will get us some flack. And if it doesn't ever, and we never, now I'm not saying go pick fights. You hear me? I'm not saying go pick fights. Don't be contentious. We've talked about that. Don't go down that road. But if we're never proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and that people need to repent and believe in Him, then maybe that's why nobody ever comes against us. Oh, friends, we need to be bold and courageous, understanding the time. Jesus calls us to become like our master. So Jesus called his apostles to understand the age, recognizing the times. There will be family division over him. There will be widespread hatred from the world over him. There will be contentious, uh, continuous uh, persecution until he returns. And there will be rejection and persecution for his followers, just like he was rejected and despised. However, Jesus doesn't allow the difficult times to be an excuse for the disciples. And I want you to listen closely. Just because it's really bad and things are really rough. Again, how many unbelievers are there in the world? 
bare minimum, there's probably six to seven billion of them all over the world that do not love God and do not want to submit to Him. That's a scary number, isn't it? It's a lot of people that don't believe in the Lord Jesus. That's a lot of people that are opposed to God. But Jesus doesn't give His disciples an excuse. He doesn't say, go hide in the corner. Go find a place to hide out. Don't announce anything. Don't say anything. Just find a safe space. He doesn't say that, does He? Look what He says. Look at the commands that He gives next in verse 26. This whole section is about don't fear man. Notice it starts with therefore. Therefore, in light of the age of rejection and all that you're going to face, the pain that you may face, Jesus implored the disciples to avoid fear of man, but instead trust the Lord. Therefore, in light of the times, don't fear man, but fear God. He repeats it three times in this section. He's emphatic. Don't let a fear of man cause you to cower away. Notice he states, notice how the command is developed. Jesus starts with, don't fear man, don't fear man, don't fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What's his point? He says, don't fear man, instead announce the truth with courage, is what he's going to say. His point is, Jesus implores them to not fear those who persecute them. Because, why? For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. Why? Because judgment is coming even on the persecuted. Their case will be heard by the Master with full details. The Lord sees everything, doesn't He? He knows everything. This is a, an encouragement for the disciples to stand firm because what does that mean? He sees everything that we do. But it's also an encouragement and a, 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 a courage developer for the disciples because the persecutor and the evil will be held accountable also. There will be judgment. How many of you struggle with this idea of when somebody hurts you, you kind of want to get it, get back at them. And part of the reason why we struggle with this concept is because we don't know what these verses mean. What do I mean by that? Well, we have this concept that we think that nobody's really watching and nobody's going to take care of the injustice that's happening to me. But listen to me closely. The Lord makes it very clear that injustice will not go unpaid for. God will make clear and judge those who are unrighteous. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. You know, our, I don't know about you guys, but our, uh, sadly, we live in a world where there are injustices. Things happen. People get mistreated that shouldn't be mistreated. Right? 
And we have systems and governments that God has established over the time to kind of help keep that from being as bad as it could be. These laws and things that help to kind of protect people. Sadly, they don't always protect everybody. I admit that, right? But what does this passage imply? This passage implies there is someone who sees it all. There is someone who will judge everything righteously. There will be justice. Trust me, beloved. And it's important for us to understand, none of us, none of us wants justice for ourselves. You say, what? I want justice for myself. No, 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 you don't. No, you don't. Do you understand, beloved, if you got punishment for every sin you've ever committed, you would never leave hell. Never. You'd be there for eternity. But the just became the justifier. Jesus came into the world, died on a cross to pay for my sin so that I could be justified. And so when somebody mistreats me, I see them in that light. I see them that there is a just creator that one day will judge their sin. And it changes the way you view the people, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I don't want them to get what they deserve. I want them to what? Repent and believe in the master, the king, the just judge. For then they will be made right with God. That's what matters. My greatest enemy I do not want to see in hell. Do y'all? If you say yes, maybe, maybe you haven't realized just how much you deserve to be there. Whoa! Stop! Get off my toes! This hurts! Yeah, it hurt me too. We can't fear people. For there is nothing that that is concealed that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known, made known. So next, Jesus gives them the alternative positive command. He says, what I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Jesus says in effect here, don't fear them. What I've told you in private, announce with courage in public. Announce Christ Jesus, the King. Here, probably the whisper in your ear, possibly what the Holy Spirit whispers in the apostles' ears. Doesn't this look just like what? Pentecost. On the rooftops. They're announcing to the ones that had what? Killed Christ. What did they say to him? Do you remember what the apostle Peter did? And what they did when they arrested Jesus. What did they do? They cowered in fear. They ran. He denied him three times. And then at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit returns, or comes upon them. And the Holy Spirit's upon all the apostles. What did they do? They say to the same people that had killed Jesus, You killed Jesus. 
How did they get that courage? It was the Holy Spirit that was working in their hearts. They came to a full understanding of just who Christ was. That He had died and He rose from the dead and that He was Lord. And their courage and their boldness spoke from the housetops. Things that had been whispered and silent. This is what the gospel does for us too. Knowing who Christ is and what He's done for us gives us courage to announce Jesus is Lord even to those that may mistreat us for saying that. The age of mistreatment is not over. The gospel still is the power of God to embolden us to proclaim Him despite the circumstances. We too, everyone in this room, has a responsibility to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ to everybody we can. If countless are dying and going to hell... It should be on our lips all the time, shouldn't it? We should be announcing Jesus Christ as Lord, that sin can be forgiven by trusting in Him. We can't fear man. Instead, we must proclaim the Word of God with full trust and confidence in Him. The same Spirit that worked in the apostles is alive and well in all who believe in Him. So announce Him. Don't be afraid. Everybody in this room is going to face numerous opportunities to regularly share hope to a lost world. We can't be afraid of man. We can't be afraid of what they might say about us. We have to keep announcing King Jesus. Next week at work, be courageous. Do you understand many of the people that you work with are dying and going to hell? See them for who they are. Share the truth. Share the gospel. Don't be afraid. Same thing, same thing. It applies, doesn't it? Remember this. Fear wins in our hearts when we fail to rehearse who is on our side. Fear wins in our heart when we fail to remember who is on our side. God! God Himself is with us! (laughs) The Spirit of God indwells us. Do we have anything to be afraid of? Nothing. And fear wins in our heart also when we fail to rehearse who God is as we've learned in His Word. In other words, I often think 
And this is such an appropriate message. I'm just about to start doing the Sunday school on evangelism. So, and no, not everybody can go to that same class. It got some, half of you can go to Harmony. It's going to be all right. But it fits so perfectly. I think all too often the reason why our evangelism is so weak and, and, and timid is because our view of God is way, way, way too small. We see people as fearful and they control everything. And oh no, he might do something to me. When we fail to forget that God is the one that gave us the job in the first place. That God is the one that's keeping us alive and breathing. God controls all. He's the sovereign. And he's with us. If your view of God is big, your evangelism will be big. I believe that. Do you believe that? For you will fear for people. You will love people. And you will be bold and courageous. Now, just a side note on this. I know some of you are going to be like, well, I'm going to go back next week. I'm going to talk to every employee in the place. Everybody's hearing the gospel this week. I promise you, Pastor Mike, it is going to happen. Okay, okay, okay. Don't rob from your, your boss to talk about Jesus. That's a, a good warning there. What do I mean by that? Well, if you have a job and you're not doing your job so you can talk to people about Jesus, that's a bad message you're sending. But you can do this. Hey, you, want, you got five minutes after work? Love to talk to you. Can I take you to get a coffee? That's a whole different... Oh, but then I'd have to give a little extra time. <laughs> We shouldn't be thinking that, should we? Do we love the people we work with? Do we care for them? Do we fear God more than them? Well, they might then pick on me and work. Yeah, they might. But God... Is sovereign. Don't fear man. Fear God. Jesus develops this. Look in the next section. Don't fear man who can kill the body. Don't fear man who can kill the body. But fear God who can kill both body and soul. Wow. He says... Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. That's a great truth, isn't it? Can you imagine if the opposition thought, I can also make this guy go to hell? Ooh, that would be a scary thought if they had that sovereign power. Ooh, don't want that, but they don't have it. That's good news, isn't it? The enemy can maybe make us lose our job. They can. They can maybe make us lose our life. Yes. They can harass us. Things can be tough. It can be hard. They can even divide our family. 
pit people against us. They can do all those kind of things. The worst being kill us. That's the worst they could do is kill us. And guess what? That's not that bad. You say, what? That's bad. How many of you are ready to die? Well, a few of you in here. Good. Good. What we have to understand is what? Ultimately, even the enemy that kills our body, if the enemy kills our body, who was ordained over that enemy... Listen, we're not dying one day before what? The number of days were ordained for me. (laughs) Again, there's the negative and then a positive command. Don't fear man, but instead fear God. It's important to note that Jesus doesn't suggest that they will be safe. He doesn't suggest that. He almost, he does imply that they're not going to be safe. People are going to hate you, and they may attempt to kill you. His command implies their opponent could kill them. And out of the twelve apostles, how many? It says church history, roughly ten died martyrs' deaths. Boy, that was fulfilled. One of them was Judas. He killed himself as he rejected and wasn't a true convert. And then John was the church tradition says that he was boiled alive but survived and then exiled to the island of Patmos where he gets the revelation. See, God, we ain't going to die even when they try to kill us if God has more with us. Jesus says, don't, don't fear them. So he's talking to people that really... We're going to face what he's talking about. But he limits the extent of their opponent's destruction to the physical body. The haters of God can destroy, or can't rather, can't destroy the soul. They can't. For the one who has eternal, has this eternal perspective, this command gives us great hope. Oh, this is sweet truth. If we have this eternal perspective that God is the one that takes care of the soul. That God is the one that is sovereign over all these things. Then it gives us confidence, doesn't it? If you know that the Lord God is the one that is over every single person you talk to, it gives you courage to announce it with freedom and boldness and no fear. That's what he's getting at. But, if we're all about the here and now, then this statement won't give us much courage. If you're all about your health and keeping your life here on earth safe and nice and neat and everything good, guess what? This message doesn't give you a lot of courage, does it? I mean, think about this. It's a very tricky question here, but how many of you really like your house? I like, I like your house, yes. How many of you really like 
your vehicles. Some of us, yeah. How many of you really, 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 really love your kids? I love my kids. Oh, everybody raise your hand. Everybody loves your kids. How many of you really, really, really love your parents? The kids that didn't raise their hands, right? (laughs) Yeah, everybody. If those really, really, really loves are really, really, really higher than your love for God, you're in a very vulnerable place. Why? Because the enemy can use those things against you to thwart your boldness and courage. Do you hear me? This is what Jesus is telling the apostles. Now, does that mean that we just throw our families to the side and don't take care of our vehicles and No, that's not what he's saying. But if the priority is those things, not him, and your perspective is not eternal but temporal, you are vulnerable to a fear of man. Man, this is amazing, isn't it? It's not confusing. It's it's all right in the passage. Good news, our opponents can't hurt our eternity. (laughs) That's settled in Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to heaven. How about you guys? (laughs) It's going to be great. I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus forever and ever and ever. (gasps) When all this stuff here goes away, he's still going to be living and reigning and ruling, and I'm going to be with him. And so I can stand up here and say, you all in this room, if you don't know Jesus, you need to repent and trust in Him. Because He's your hope. And if I offended anybody in the room, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to just be offensive, but I'm telling you that that's the message of Jesus. That He says, you're a sinner and you need Him. Turn from your sin and trust Him. Because eternity's coming. And he is the one who condemns in hell all those who reject him. It'll give us courage, won't it? Won't it? Because we will see our persecutors and the world's tempters as headed for eternal hell. We will endure much more if we believe we could be a person's last chance to hear the gospel. So Jesus first said, don't fear man. Instead, announce the truth with courage. Second, Jesus says, don't fear man who can kill the body, but fear God who can kill the body and the soul. And third, we see Jesus said, don't fear man or circumstances, but trust God because He values His own. Oh, this is sweet truth. Look at this. And now... And not two sparrows, are not rather, are not two sparrows sold for a cent. One penny, their penny at the time, 
Are they not one, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Oh, these are sweet truths. I hope you're all taking them in, thinking on them. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Oh. Man, if there was ever a passage that should encourage every soul in this room, this is it. Jesus starts with a question that's meant to elicit an obvious answer. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? His point is, this is what they're sold for. It's, it's, it, they're, they're, for lack of a better term, they're penny. They're not even a penny. They're worthless little animals. I said the word, worthless little animals. Let me explain. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Answer, yes, that's what they're sold for. That's implied. And yet not one, not one of these half-cent creatures, not one of them, falls to the ground apart from your father. (laughs) Wow. Do you understand what that means? Jesus is in total sovereign control of every single bird on this planet. Have you ever driven up? I know we all have probably. Have you ever driven up or walked up on a dead bird? You're like, poor thing. What happened to it? Let me explain something. Jesus knew when it fell from the sky. Nobody else recognized it, but he saw it. And he knows it. He's in sovereign control of all this. He holds the whole creation in his hands. Wow. Do we have any reason to fear? No. He holds the birds in his hands. He's sovereign over them. They die not one second before he has ordained every bird, every insect, every creature on the whole planet is in his sovereign hand. Ah, this should give you courage. My God is sovereign over everything. Even the death of little birds. We can't even fully comprehend this, can we? The authority that God has and His care for His creation. He's he's sovereign over the least significant bird dying. What humanity considers almost useless and worthless, God is still intimately acquainted with. God is sovereign over every single thing in His creation. Birds and trees, insects and bees, butterflies and chimpanzees. I worked on that a little bit. That was just joking. Take that out of the tape. The only thing that I worked on, right? No. No animal is outside God's sovereign control and His care. No animal dies apart from God's sovereign will. If God cares for these lesser creatures, lesser to greater argument, how much more His image bears? Oh, Sweet truth. 
Look at how much he cares for us. He says it to his disciples, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, there are a few of you in the room that I can count all your hairs. (laughs) A few. I can't count all yours, Eric, even yours. There's still some there I can't count, brother. I can't get them all. But, Aaron, I got yours. (laughs) And I had Andrews for a week, and they're all back. Can you understand this? Can you comprehend this? I don't even know how many hairs I have. Right? There's only two or three of you that can count it. But he knows every human on all the planet the number of hairs we have. Let that sit for a second. Think. Every hair on every human's head in all the world, God knows. (laughs) If God is for us, who can be against us? We have nothing to fear. They can kill this body, but God is sovereign over everything. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? I'm not remotely aware of that, but God knows it all. So, look at his last phrase. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. All right. It's common in our world to emphasize self-image. The world is constantly saying we need to feel good about ourselves and have a high value of ourselves and think valuable about who you are. But I think this is settling. Listen closely. I think this is settling for a low view of ourselves. What? Listen closely. Listen closely. Do you have a high self-image? If you do, you have too low of a value of yourself. Why? Because there's someone who values you more than you can. And it's God. Whoa. My self-image goes... Right? But God's view of me is consistent. He values me. But if your value is found in what other people think of you, or what you think of yourself too much, you've really missed... The whole point. God values his image bearers. Nothing 
the world can say or do to me matters ultimately. Because God values me. Won't that give you courage? Beloved, let's don't fear man. Let's fear God and trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It encourages us, convicts us, points us to the glory of you. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you sent your son into the world so that we would not spend eternity in hell. God, thank you for your Son. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust you, Lord. Remind us of your glory, of your power, and your sovereign glory and grace. Help us, Lord, now to go out and boldly proclaim you to the nations, sharing the glory of Jesus with this world. I love you, Father. Our Abba, Father. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. Sing together. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my life He bled and died. 
Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with Him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight. When He comes at last, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Father, we do thank you for this day. We do thank you for your truth. We do pray that you would help it to work in our hearts, Lord, that you would cause it to sanctify us, cause it to have us bear fruit in this life, Have it uh, help us to not fear man, help us to not fear all of our circumstances around us, but help us to fear you, help us to worship you this week. Please give us boldness and courage. Help us to see that our value is bound up in you and what you've done for us. We do pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.